Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. So today, I'd like to go over some of the evolution of marriages. When you look at earlier history of marriages, the construct of how marriages used to be 100, 500, 1,000 years ago, those dynamics, the construct of what we'd consider marriage looks radically different before than it does today. And if you look at the first series um, or the first constructs of marriage, they were mostly based off of an economic model. They're mostly based on security, really trying to meet the needs of your biology and your security needs, food, safety, shelter, all of those. And so having a partner which could tend the field, which could, you know, you could procreate with to have lots of children. This all helped with the survival of not only yourself, but the actual family unit. So you're less worried about compatibility or attraction. And this is more of an economic model. Then once the industrialization started, we realized that we could actually start going to work, making money, going places to buy food, right? This is right after the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution, the need to be able to farm our own food and to, you know, fend off saber-toothed tigers, that need became a lot lower. And so what we end up morphing into was from this economic model to more of a love-based model. And the love-based model is we are getting most of our needs met. Food safety shelter, now let's try to find a mate in which we're attracted. That really started to come into play around the 40s, 50s. It blurs with different uh, socioeconomic cultures and different demographics of that sort. We moved into that base and that's primarily what we kind of think of as we've got the husband and we've got the wife and uh, typically we have our roles He's the breadwinner, she's the homemaker. And so for the last 40 years, maybe from the 40s and 50s up until, you know, maybe about 15, 20 years ago, that was primarily the construct, at least what we think of in America as a marriage. When you really look at the construct of what we are looking at, at least what a lot of us are looking at in the modern era, we're looking for something that looks almost like a self-actualized marriage. What this is, is we are looking to invoke, bring in our own bits of happiness, our own stages of personal fulfillment and have the container and the construct of the relationship actually be a conduit for that. That's a a real brief overview of the history of marriage. And I'd love to dive into the different constructs of it, maybe where we have strayed and maybe where we could really move into new tools and new, new levels of fulfillment as we start to move forward. What we've really come into is what we would call like the nuclearization of the modern family. This is where the modern family doesn't need an extended family to have our basic survival. Because of this, the construct of the nuclearization of family means we are less connected 
to our aunts and uncles and grandfathers, even close community members. More of our daily interaction is with our immediate family, our nuclear family. You know, this is our wife and this is maybe our one or two children. Since the average I think household in, in the US has, I think anywhere from, it was a 1.5 to 2.5 children. So because there's so much more emphasis on a smaller number of people, when you look at, especially your wife, we put way more expectations and, and way more weight on the actual marriage itself. Because when you look at the old construct, because we weren't always necessarily married for love, we were marrying for more economic survivals. Other parts of our needs were getting met through community. A lot of those needs are being met with our significant other. So with all these higher expectations, it's sometimes harder to be able to, so it's sometimes harder to meet all those expectations because there's just more of them, right? And it's the old adage of, you know, it's the definition for unhappiness is when expectations don't meet reality. And we have more expectations now than ever before. So I think I'll pause it there. And I'd love to look at, you know, where we're at with the nuclearization of family and then how it's contrasting to how we used to live. And I know there's this big movement right now of trying to get back into community. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we have our neighbors, but most of our friends, most of a lot of our family members, we're only connecting with on a scheduled basis, right? And what I mean by that is we make appointments to see them. Whereas other cultures and other dynamics see these people on an everyday basis, right? It's where that whole adage of it takes a village to raise a child. And I feel like the nuclearization of family has really disconnected us from that point. Curious to hear your thoughts, Josh, as we move more into the nuclearization of a relationship and family life, where do you think that we're being disconnected? Where do you think the high points and maybe the low points are of where we're at now versus where we used to be in, in relation to community and tribal living? Great question. I think a big part of what's happened is in just looking at some of the content we are researching, you know, people move towards more personal fulfillment. And I think that's really still where we're at. We're trying to balance this. How do I take care of my needs and figure out myself? How do I take care of community? Before it was you know, it was, uh, you could only survive if the other people helped you survive. You were fighting for daily interactions. You know, one of my uh, good friends and mentors is an anthropologist. And he says, you know, like when we look at the times, it's the easiest it's ever been. There's like one other time when this happened and they call it the time of great men and women. But really, this is when all the, the major people from Michelangelo and Aristotle, like all these people came out of another time. And it was very similar where most of our history as humans we were worried about trying to survive. I mean, there was natural disasters. There was super predators, humans killing other humans. There was wars. I mean, there's been so much challenge that one of the big challenges is right now there is, I mean, again, we're still at war. There's still some big challenges, but we're in this era where we don't have any major disasters that we're worrying about. Like a lot of our needs are taken care of. I think a big challenge that comes up is like, we're trying to figure out like, how do I live in this era where, you know, where, where it gives us the freedom to actually create, give projects back, build things. So it's like finding that right balance between communion, relationship, connection, and and also independence and fulfillment and personal independence. How do we find personal independence? How do we find our, our independence and freedom and fulfillment? How do we find that in a relationship? And what is that balance? And I think there's so many different uh, situations and everybody's kind of, a, from my experience, anywhere in 
on all ends of the spectrum. There's some people that are fully dependent and reliant upon each other and you see it and it works for them. There's other people that are fully independent and totally separated and that works for them. And I think we're in this era of like discovering where we fall in that and where where it works best for us and our partner. This is a very interesting moment in time where a big chunk of the population, and I'll even isolate it a little bit to the US because that's, you know, that's where we're doing this podcast, that in historical times, this has been one of the, you know, I'm going to use air quotes here, one of the easiest times in, in relation to survival. There's less war than there ever has. It's easier to be fed than it ever has. I think it opens up a section of our consciousness and our minds to focus on these other areas where a big chunk of what we were having to put our mind and attention to were these basic rungs of our needs, right? Food, safety, and shelter. And this is a fairly new phenomenon. I don't know about you, but I would say it's probably since you know the 60s, maybe, maybe the 50s. But it's been uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty recent development. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and again, I think we also live in a time where there's man, there's so many different things going on. I mean, there's people who marry multiple people. There's polygamy. There's there's still monogamy. But again, there's we live in a time where people are so open that it's almost like there's everybody's giving their viewpoint on what they find to be fulfilling. And it and it seems like we also live in a time where you can kind of explore any of them. And there's other people that are exploring those same same things. So, you know, when you look at relationship, I guess is to me the first context of it. What does that look like? And again, I also think what we live in a time where 50% of people end in, in divorce. I know just from talking to other people, you know, marriage, a lot of times, you know, you give up if you spend your life building some wealth, you may end up giving up your wealth. I've, I've just talked to a buddy recently who lost two thirds of his wealth to a really bad uh, divorce uh, where somebody just wanted to get out and get them, you know? And so again, there's a lot of different viewpoints, not saying there's a right or wrong, but We just live in an interesting time. So I think people are scared. They're even more fearful of losing everything or losing themselves. And and at the same sense, we have all these wounds from childhood and we're we're really craving to be loved. So I think we live in this interesting time where we're deeply craving love and fulfillment. And at the same time, we're deeply craving independence and, and freedom and fulfillment. So it's like, how do we find those right balances? And I think it's really, I think we're still discovering that. With that whole independent theme that you just mentioned, I think also because, you know, if you look at the the earlier history of marriage, I mean, God, even if you just look a generation ago, if you were, you know, 100 years ago, if you were 25 and you haven't been married, you're like an old spinster, like you are incredibly old. And I think, God, my parents, even my parents who met in college, they got married at their, I think, late 20s, that was even considered old. Now, it's almost considered young if you get married before the age of 30. So, that whole construct of having your own individual identity, it's one thing when you're getting married at 19, whereas you have a little bit of your identity, but you kind of go from adolescence to adult and you have maybe a year or so of that independence. But most of what you know in your life is I'm married and, and I'm just a married person. Whereas someone who doesn't get married until they're 30, 35, or 40, a good chunk of who they know and what they identify is, is an individual person. And so I think there's also this, there's this newfound recently within the last few, you know, maybe 10, 20 years, this newfound, I guess, learning how to merge your individual self 
with a relational self, you know, and, and I think in terms of just historic context, that that's something that, you know, is new and, and we're still figuring out. I think that's really what it is. And I think, you know, for anybody listening, I think that's what comes up when you're defining fulfillment. And again, it's what I find a little bit tricky is, you know, there's, it's almost like there's so many varying opinions. It gets really confusing. It's been my experience. You talk to somebody that's overly more on the individual fulfillment scale and and they may give you feedback like you need to fight for more of your independence or more of your own freedom or more of your own you talk to somebody that's a little bit more in the relationship and and making the relationship work they right they might give you that perspective so i feel like when you're when you're trying to find it what i find for me is i can't really rely on anybody else i really have to feel into like what am i needing for me for my growth now and what am i seeing in the context of relationship that challenges me to grow and you know, when you look at marriage, I see some marriages that are super fulfilling and couples become better and more connected. And it becomes like it solidifies this, this love and this connection around a container of safety. Uh, or and I see some couples that celebrate their relationship and have no, they have no need to do it. So again, there's, it's interesting, like just looking at different friends and different situations. I know some that have done it after and a month of meeting each other are still happily, happily married. You know, you see some that do it after years of being together and then they get, and then they get divorced. So it gets a little bit, it's an interesting landscape, you know, from looking at it from, from the outside, like which decision do I make? How do we move in? How do we move out? And what does that look like in general? And I think this is where getting really clear about like, what is it that you actually need in a relationship? What do you need for the relationship to thrive? And then also what do you need for you to feel fulfilled on a personal level and be able to relate those needs. Because, you know, back in the day, you know, a lot of times your husband or wife was there to help raise the family, maybe tend to the flock, maybe have sex. And that's it. Doing a lot of the research for the prep for the show is that a lot of the maybe conversations about finances or conversations about politics or worldviews, a lot of that wasn't discussed in the context of the marriage. A lot of those needs, those conversations were being met outside. And now with the nuclearization of the family, a lot of that is done inside the household. And so I think this is where, as we start to move into more of a self-actualized era in a self-actualized relationship, really getting down to the clear context of what it is that we are looking for and what do we need in order to feel like we are experiencing contribution, that we're able to really engulf ourselves in our passions and doing the stuff that, that we love to do. And how does the relationship, the marriage, and the construct of that marriage supports that context. And I think that's, um, you know, that's, those are all new questions that we're asking ourselves. Because when I look at e- even my parents' era, that wasn't necessarily something that they were asking themselves. And, you know, this is something that, that, that seems to be a lot newer. And, you know, I've even had s- some feedback from like, my parents' friends. And a lot of them don't understand the amount of the different avenues and the different ways we're expressing ourselves in the relationship because it's not necessarily the the traditional model of him and her, you know, the homemaker, the breadwinner. I see a lot of the older generation look back at, at us or millennials or whoever it happens to be. And, you know, they're always asking, how come 
you can't be content just settling down. And, and I've gotten that from quite a few people. And they're like, oh, you always feel like you have to do stuff and, and, and be. And I think that, um, you know, I think there's that there's some truth in that as well. Um, and I don't know what you've seen with our parents' generation versus our generation. And if you've got if you've got similar feedback, but um, you know, I've I've noticed that just even a couple of generations ago that there wasn't this big effort to really put a lot of time into the relationship as there is now. It's so interesting, the whole subject of, of marriage and time and, and how much you put into the relationship. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think when we talk about the subject, <laughs> quite honestly, I feel like a little out of my context because I'm not married. I've never been married. You know, I'm almost 40. And so I'm, I'm interested in the subject, but I think I'm still finding my way. I'm still figuring out. And, you know, I think I definitely want marriage. I think I definitely want children in my future. But when I look at the context of marriage and the institution that it is, uh, it gets really interesting. You know, you see prenups, you see non-prenups, you see all these different things and it just gets a little, um, it's interesting to me. And, and again, when I think on a personal level, you've been through the process. What well, I'm curious, uh, just to kind of st- uh, go in a slight different direction for a few, what was your experience of going through it and how did you guys decide to make that decision? And you know, were there pros and cons of that you thought about it or was it just a no brainer choice or how did that kind of unveil? Was this the decision to get married and move forward? Yeah. Like, like again, the institutional process of it, I'm curious how that unfolded. And if you guys looked at a lot of it or it was just, was a natural progression of your, of your decision. I always thought that I would get married. The process that I had with Michelle, which I always found really interesting is when I finally got to the realization of, yeah, I, I really want to build long-term with this with this woman, I got really excited about the idea of marriage and a wedding and you know all, all of the formalities that they got wrapped into that. I think what also came over me too was the fact that I felt so connected to her that I also felt like I didn't need to get married. I also felt like, I think because we were so strong and that I felt like we didn't need to have the, you know, the title of husband and wife that it almost, it almost made it like a bonus. And for us, I think we just knew and there was just this, you know, there was this kind of, just this kind of uh, realization that's like, oh yeah, I would love to make this formal. Uh, I would like to really connect and build. And, and that was very exciting for us. And I think from a personal level, what I had to go through was being okay with letting go of my individual self. How do I bring into my individualistic nature into the relationship? To me, I, I wouldn't say it was a hard struggle, but it was something that that definitely came up. It's like, okay, cool. Like I've had relationships off and on my whole life. I didn't get married till I was almost 40 in my, in my late thirties. And so there was a good chunk of how I've been living my life as a single person with, with some relationships here or there. And there was a big part of how I identified myself as a single person. And there was a big part of the, the freedom that I saw in that context. And, and when I mean freedom, it's, it's not freedom to date other people, but freedom to be able to explore the passions and, and, and heart-based 
activities that I love to do. And so for me, it was to, to really have conversations with Michelle to, to make sure that we understood each other in those aspects and that we were able to still honor each other in, in, in that regard. But, um, you know, as I've mentioned in, in other podcasts, with the right context, the right communication and, and obviously the right partner, I feel more free and I feel like that individual Scott, that individualistic self feels more fed than it ever has. And that feels good to me. That feels very, very nurturing. You know, it's always a work in progress. But, you know, I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing was just being able to, uh, you know, to kind of release into that and to know it's like, look, I, I don't necessarily, you know, everything's a give and take, but I don't, it doesn't have to be the death of that person. It's just a, a, a morphine, if you will. And, um, you know, for me, I just kind of had to have a little bit of faith and, um, it actually came out to be a lot more nourishing and, and freeing than I had ever imagined. So you found it as a, as a deep level of freedom, huge freedom, huge freedom. I would probably say the freedom that I felt and that I do feel in my marriage is one of the most rewarding things and probably one of the biggest pleasant pleasant surprises. When you say the freedom, was that did that happen after your marriage? It continued through the marriage, but I would say because I actually felt free in the relationship while we were dating, I think subconsciously I may have not known it, but subconsciously that is, I think, what almost gave me the internal green light to say, like, yeah, this feels really good to to get married, to move to the next step, to to unionize this relationship in that capacity. But I think it's because I actually felt free in the the relationship before we were married while we were dating. I think that was the main indication that's like, yeah, you know, we're good. I feel uh, safe moving forward in that because it's such a big it's such a big need for me. Curious. I mean, I know, I know you work with a lot of couples. Uh, do you find most of the couples you work with are married or not married? And do you find that that plays a part in, in the conflict of fulfillment? I guess in being fulfilled, do you find with the couples you work with, it, it makes a difference in being fulfilled, whether they're married or not married? And so I'm going to answer this two ways. Uh, I would probably say about half are married and then the other ones are in deep relationships. And, and to me, a lot of times the, the marriage is just the label. I have, I have couples that I feel like have been, that they're even more vested or they're more deeply connected and they're not married. You know, with that, what I would probably say is the the actual marriage part of it doesn't necessarily give that to the couples. And there are some couples that feel like having the ring or having the marriage certificate will make them feel a little bit more secure. And what I have seen over and over and over again is that there was like this little immediate hit of, wow, we just got married or we just had a kid or we just bought a house together. And there's this kind of immediate sense of like, oh, I'm looking for this type of certainty in the relationship. And I'm looking for, you know, something to to help me feel certain about the connection and the longevity of the relationship. So they look for these little outside events. And more often than not, they are quick hits of dopamine to make you feel better in the moment. Almost always the marriage itself, the children or the, you know, the house or whatever the external circumstance happens to be almost never creates that sense of wow, I feel super connected in the relationship or I feel like all of my needs are getting met. Not just the bottom rungs of your food safety, shelter, security, bio, you know, biology, 
but you know, your love and social needs, you know, and, and even your emotional and self-esteem needs. So, so I don't know if that answers your question, but the, I feel like the construct of the actual marriage itself doesn't really give that certainty for a lot of what people are looking for. You know, they're, they're looking to, you know, they want to be heard. They want to be able to express themselves. They want to feel free and whatever that happens to look like. And I know for a lot of couples, sometimes freedom to them is to not have to travel a lot, to have the freedom to always be at the homestead, to have a house that's full of you know, dogs and pets and family members and community members. And, and to them, that's really freeing to, to feel like they have that, right? And, and, and some other people are like, I want to feel free to, to be able to explore these, you know, different passions to go hiking with my girlfriends or my guy friends or to travel or whatever it happens to be. And that, uh, you know, that feeling and, and that certainty doesn't come from the marriage itself, right? That, that comes from communication, that comes from understanding each other, and that comes from, you know, really learning how to compromise and to support and to know where you can and can't support. When we look at this whole concept of the nuclearization of family, because we are asking so much from our partner, because we're not talking to community quite as much as we used to, you know, we're not living under a roof with 10 of our immediate family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, and, you know, grandparents or what have you. We have so much vested in this one partner to fill so much of our needs. And in some cases, it's almost unfair for to, to put that much of the burden on the other person. And so this is where the some of the most fulfilled relationships, the, the, the biggest thriving relationships, knows where the marriage can fill some of those needs and, and where it can't. What I've brought to in my practice is to take a minute to really look at what are the places in which the marriage can really fulfill some of those needs and where can't they, right? And some of the domains happens to be in maybe the sexual domain or maybe the the intimacy domain where it's not necessarily sex, but you are, you know, kind of integrated with members of the opposite sex. And so I think where it gets, you know, because this is something that's not necessarily discussed that often, I think we really moved. It was right after the agricultural era that we really kind of moved to this straight monogamish or uh, monogamy type of marriage. And that hasn't always been the case. And so like, it's a relatively new phenomenon. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the recent conversations that have been going on, uh, a lot about what's been talked about is we're not monogamous creatures by nature. I think a big part of looking at what this paradigm is, where do you kind of fall on that range, right? There's polyamory on one side where you have multiple wives and, and, and you're giving a little bit to each partner and you're not really divulging a lot of time to really build something super, super deep with one of the partners, right? Because you are spreading your time and energy with multiple people. And then you have what is, I guess, what you would call straight monogamy, right? And straight monogamy is you really only look at that one partner, right? You're not flirting with other women. You're not really thinking about other women. You're not flirting with other men, anything like that. It's just monogamy is, you know, monogamy used to be one partner for life. Now monogamy is one partner at a time, right? They're like, oh, I'm... (laughs) 
I'm monogamous with every one of my relationships. So <laughs> when we say that, you know, we're only in a monogamy, you know, that's not necessarily true if you've had sex with multiple partners. So we need to really define what that is for all of us, right? And for some of us, it's, yeah, I'm just going to have my marriage with you and build with you. But then at the same token, maybe uh, I, I can flirt with my friends or maybe when I'm, you know, when we go to parties, I can, I can dance with my friend's wife or my friend's husband or whatever it happens to be. And, and, and we can hug each other, but like, it doesn't go past that or we can flirt with each other. Right. So we all have kind of our different boundaries in that, but we also want to look at, you know, what is it about my relationship with the opposite sex, my relationship with other men, my relationship with other women that feels congruent with me and then really figuring out where you are in that spectrum. And what I have found through most of my partners is that they are somewhere on the line of pure monogamy and polyamorous and really knowing where you identify on that spectrum and then to be able to relate that to your partner really allows a sense of freedom because most of us, when we get married, automatically turn, don't, you know, it doesn't turn off that little switch in the, in our brain that says, oh, we're not attracted to the opposite sex anymore. And I also think too, that when you, when you kind of force yourself to turn that off a little bit, it starts to dull or, or kind of suppress a little bit about your, you know, your nature. And, and part of that stimulates testosterone. It stimulates the masculine. It stimulates the feminine. And when done in a conscious manner can really bring energy and vitality back into the relationship. But you really need to find out what works for you. Uh, what I've noticed is that when there tends to be a little bit more freedom in the relationship to at least express some of these desires, that that opens up a lot of freedom and tension inside the relationship. And, I, and I've seen this work really well with quite a few couples, but it really starts from the place of incredible amounts of trust. And from that point, really kind of communicating like what feels natural and what feels right and what works for, for both parties. You know, Scott, I know you're building a relationship workshop and you've been doing heavy research and it's just curious, you know, where are you seeing the need for this? What I've been seeing in not only community, but in my own private practice is couples that really want a new level of understanding in the relationship, um, new levels of freedom in the relationship. There's this, this hunger, if you will, to not only have a connected relationship with their significant other, but so many of us want something more in the relationship, right? The, the construct of maybe just having a marriage and maybe kids isn't necessarily enough. It's, you know, all of us have expressions, all of us have passions, all of us have this other part of who we are that is so near and dear to our heart. And this whole feeling of connecting with our legacy, this whole feeling of connecting with, um, you know, what I would call higher purpose tends to be really, really strong. And so the whole answer to what I've been seeing is creating this, this weekend or this construct to really build tools on how to communicate and to really how to create a structure around 
freedom and that freedom to do these other things that you love to do in your life that's not necessarily dependent on the other person, right? So how do we get the base foundation where we feel trusted, where we feel like we're being heard in the relationship? And then once we get that foundation through tools and exercises and just understanding of our partner, from there, how do we really start to elevate it, right? To where we can hold down the fort, we can hold down the paradigm to really let the other partner thrive, really let the other partner like explore, right? Get creative and even get a little bit messy to go into areas which they may not go to themselves. There might be a desire, but there may be a little bit of fear there, some, you know, some intrepidation, but the, you know, the support and the, you know, the love that's created through the marriage actually lets you feel like you've got, like someone's got your back, you know, this entity has your back. And so, you know, the, the whole weekend is really about connecting with that freedom, right? Connecting with that purpose to really feel like you've got this connection with your partner to where you create kind of a new core value of, look, we're going to be okay no matter what. We're going to be able to persevere no matter what. And I'm going to be okay no matter what. And I think from that place, like it just lets off so much pressure and just creates such new dynamics. And, And I know that when you can start to have this level of freedom and connection in your marriage, it has this really beautiful trickle effect through every other area of your life because we put so much time, effort, and energy into our marriage, right? And we're just engulfed into it so much that when that is firing on all cylinders, man, it affects everything, right? And I think this is ultimately why they say that, you know, this adds more fulfillment to your life, right? It's the, the bigger criteria of fulfillment than, than even health. Because I think sometimes when your health goes a little off, to know that someone is there in support for you, right? And, and, and someone is there that can take care of you. It's so critical, right? Because we used to have community for that. And now it's more and more, it's levied on, on one person. So, you know, that's one of the biggest answers that I had to, you know, had for this. I wasn't even planning on ever creating this, but because I've, I've been seeing such a need for this, you know, it's hard to sometimes get big, massive traction with uh, couples when I'm only doing, you know, our sessions every week, when we can really sit in a full weekend to really work on the relationship, you know, for something that is this important in our lives, you know, we spend way more time, you know, tuning up our cars or even attending to our children. And we don't realize the level of fulfillment and the level of happiness that it has on our life. And so if we can learn just to create routines and and behaviors to really keep this part of our lives healthy, oh man, everything else just rocks and rolls. I like that. That sounds amazing. That sounds really amazing. So it's almost like this level of a different level of, so again, back to the fulfillment conversation, it sounds like in the right context, marriage can be an ultimate level of fulfillment. If it's aligned in the right flow and both partners feel free. Um, and I imagine for some, 
Um, it could be the exact opposite. <laughs> well, and that's just right? it. Well, and, 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 yeah, and that's just it because because we are asking so much more of our partner. You know, I have this on my website where it's that famous TED Talk by Esther Perel, right? Where we're asking what our partner we're asking all these all these things from our partner, and what we used to ask for an entire village that used to provide, right? To give me all, you know, all of these needs and stimuluses. And so our expectations on the marriage is so high that it's, unless we're dedicating the time, energy, and effort to really meet a lot of those expectations. And, and, and here's the thing, we can't always realistically meet all those expectations, but when we have the communication of like, look, I, I get that you need, to, you know, you need someone to go hunting with you or to go fishing or, you know, you've got this thing where like connecting into nature and going in the outdoors is really important to you. But I can't, I can't stand that kind of stuff. You're going to start to feel frustrated because there's a part of you that's not being, you know, that's not being exercised, you know, that this part of you that wants to connect into nature. And so when you realize it's like, cool, my partner isn't going to be responsible for that. Or I, it, it's, un, it's unfair of me to ask my partner to fulfill that need that I have to have a shared experience where I'm out, you know, roaming. When we take that pressure off our partner, it just starts to, to completely change the landscape. So yes, we're asking more from our partners, but when we do it in the correct way and we're able to meet those needs, it's higher levels of fulfillment than we've ever seen in generations past. But because we are asking more of our partners, a lot of times we're not willing to put in the energy and effort that it takes to really make that relationship thrive. So in essence, we're more unhappy. So if you look at the trajectory, the, the rate of divorce has, has basically kind of settled out between, I think it's like 45 and 53% since 1980. But the level of satisfaction in the marriage has actually subtly been going down. So using these, you know, these tools and these hacks really kind of like shift that trajectory, like, and it just really helps you get clear on how to show up in the relationship. And I think from that point, it's just like, man, like I said, like things just dramatically shift and rock and roll. Let's say you're in a partnership. I was curious, do you have advice for the flip side? Let's say one person's wanting this you know, freedom and communication to do it. And the, and the other partner wants the other partner to do everything with them. Any, any support or insight you've gotten from partners in ways that they can make it work and, and finding ways to communicate that effectively. One of the things I'm hearing from you is that both partners give, both partners can feel what brings them their ultimate joy, communicate to that partner and each partner can support them in doing that. It can create these amazing levels of fulfillment. My question is what if one of the partners doesn't understand that or, or doesn't, hasn't gone through an experience to give them that understanding. Do you have effective ways of having somebody communicate that to their partner so they can enroll them in that vision? Cause I find a lot of times because somebody's not on the same page, it doesn't always mean that they disagree with it. It just means that they may not have had the same experience and their background may, may show that that means somebody's leaving them or abandoning them or doing something different than them. Some people have a viewpoint that everything needs to be done together and that's their, where they live from was like family. So curious in, do you have any insights or how people can walk their partners through communicating that, um, you know, what that looks like to find that balance or somebody who's wanting more of that different ways that they can communicate that? We all come into the relationship with 
our own relationship history. And these are our own stories on how we think a relationship should be viewed. And a good chunk of the time, those aren't in alignment. And so I think I think it's a really big point that you brought up. And it's hard to even get to the point of moving toward a self-actualized marriage until you get the dynamics, the, 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 the foundational dynamics clear, right? And what that really entails is sitting down, taking the time, right? I think this is, I think this is a big one too, is taking the time and creating an agreement that you guys are both up for working on the relationship. And so what I've seen a lot of times is, I'll just use an example. I'll have a woman come in and say, you know, I, I want to work on the relationship and I'll want to bring both of them in. And a lot of times he won't want to come in. And it's really tough to get to a point where you start talking about ways to hear each other, ways to bring in new tools, you know, ways to express pieces of ourselves in the relationships when only one person is vested in that in that growth. So it starts from there. And then from there, it is all about communication, right? It's evaluating on a on a really deep heart level, like what is it that I need as a partner in the relationship? And then what do I need as an individual that's going to really make me thrive? right? Not just survive in the relationship and not just get through it, but to really like, what's really going to light me up? What's going to make it as though, you know, in the next week, in the next month, the next year that I get so excited about coming back to the relationship when I'm out of town. Like I get so excited about sharing my wins and victories in the relationship and that there's this sense of safety of knowing that even if my partner doesn't agree with everything that I may go through that, that they've got my back. Right. And so there's this, there's this level of safety and foundation in the relationship. I think that really starts from there. And then you start to move into tips and tools on like, how do I start to express my passions? Right. But then it gets to that point where, cool. Once you start to have that dialogue, you may start to realize that your needs are not in alignment. And look, every relationship is a compromise to some degree. There's give and take on every relationship, right? We all come in with different needs. We all come in with different history. And so I think a part of really creating that safe structure is really almost going overboard on the explanation. So it's like, wow, I need, you know, I need space or I need to travel and to you, that means, oh, that just means, oh, I, I get explored these other places. This is just something I love to do. But maybe to the partner, that means, oh, they don't really want to be with me or they don't want to spend time with the relationship or w- whatever that story is. But when you can explain, hey, I need to go to this place or I'd like to go travel or you know, I would uh, like to teach or whatever it happens to be. And here's why. Here's why it's important to me. Here's why it's important to my heart. Here's why it's just important for my soul to have this, this, uh, this thing in my life. And so once you get to that point, it's like you, you really want to share why is it that you need these things in your life so the other person can really understand. And then once you get to that point, 
then you really have to break down, okay, what is it that I need in my life? What is a must and what is not a must? And, you know, for me, I, I, I've given this converse or I've given this example before, but one of my musts is to be able to tap into my adventurous spirit. Really important to me as a man to be able to find these little adventurous spirits in, in, in my heart. And I think this is where I knew that Michelle was the right one, even before we got into the marriages, she allowed me to go to Costa Rica for three months to learn Spanish. And this is right, you know, this is like six months after we got together. And she was fully, fully supportive of that. And not a lot of not a lot of partners would be. So you may get to a point where there are certain things that you need and it's a, almost a foundational must for you. Like for me, I have to have a partner that is dedicated to growth. I need a partner that uh, maybe takes accountability for their actions. I need a partner who is a lover of nature, right? These are kind of non-negotiables for me. And then there's nice to haves. So when you really kind of figure out what those are and take some time to journal and to discuss, maybe not only with your significant other, but with friends, but figure out what those are and then have those discussions with the other person. And you may realize that they're not in alignment. Most of us aren't going to be compatible with one another. And just because you're married doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you have what it takes to, 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 to be in a self-actualized marriage. You just may have different needs that don't complement the other person. But I will tell you this, when you get clear on what those are and you're like, I need this and it's not you know, I'm not mad at you because you can't meet these needs. It's just, I need these things because this was what really aligns with my heart. And I want to give you everything that you need. But at the same token, I don't want to sacrifice my core values, right? I can't sacrifice, you know, you know, the, this, this, this love of growth that I have or doing this podcast or whatever it happens to be because that goes against your core values. So you really have to be in alignment with that. And a lot of times they're not. When I start working with a couple, the very first thing that I say is my job is to align you with the most amount of fulfillment in your personal life and then in your relationship. And my my desire is that that fosters in your marriage or that fosters in your relationship. But know that doing this work, you may get clarity that it's not in alignment. And so my wish always is that, it, is that you guys are stronger and vast majority of the time, that's, that's what ends up happening. But you know there are those, those times and those, those circumstances where you start to get more clarity. And I think it's harder in the beginning, but at but eventually that adds a little bit of relief because you're not asking for items in the relationship and from your partner that they just can't provide. Do you have any ideas for somebody? I heard you say, you know, going through and getting clear on what your must are and uh, you know, what you're flexible with. Is that a good kind of first step for somebody to get clarity on what that would look like for them? You know, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just taking time, taking time with your significant other. I mean, what works really well for me and Michelle is uh, we take trips, <laughs> you know, we were just in Tahoe 
not too long ago. And, you know, part of what we did is we talked about like, what's exciting for you and, you know, what are you looking to bring in these next few months and, you know, how can I support that? And, and, and just by having those conversations, um, I think it just stems from really just, just making space, you know, and as, as simple as that sounds and, and as simple of a concept as that is, it's harder and harder, the more that we're, you know, engaged in such a distracted world. To um, finalize the the episode, what we're looking for in a relationship has has really shifted quite a bit. Um, and I think you really hit a good point. What you mentioned earlier is that look, <laughs> we're we're not in a worn time era. You know, they um, there's a TED talk in which they were talking about how you know statistically there's less war, less famine, rape, less less hard crime than there has been for centuries. We may not feel that way because the media is more pronounced and we have more access to that information. But overall, we most of us aren't worried about where we're going to get fed. And so this becomes even more important. And so when we can really understand to just put a little bit more energy and effort into this area in which we call an intimate relationship. It's like it, the, the amount of fulfillment that it can bring into our lives, like it just pays off in exponential spades. So, yeah, so I think we'll kind of wrap it up from there. And so if anybody else has any questions or any insights about any of this stuff, uh, we would love, love to hear you. If any of you have any curiosity um, about the the self-actualized workshop, please reach out for all of our listeners who are in the West Coast and who happen to be married or in a committed relationship for at least a year or longer. I facilitate a three-day workshop retreat with my beloved uh, this is a semi-annual event. We do one in Northern California, and we also do one in Southern California. It's called the Self-Actualized Marriage Retreat, and we just have a ton of fun doing it, and it's a combination of meditations and exercises and games and hiking, and we just we have a complete blast doing it, and we really drill down what are the core values and how do we create the structure in the container of our relationship to really bring out more fulfillment and really bring out self-actualization in both partners and how do we create the construct for that. It's a ton of fun. So if any of you guys are interested, uh, please head over to selfactualizedmarriage.com. Again, that's selfactualizedmarriage.com. And if any of you guys are interested there's a $150 discount for all of our podcast listeners. Just mention the podcast or the uh, promo code Mastering Fulfillment. Again, thank you guys so much for listening with deep love and respect and stay safe out there. Are you ready to take your personal, relational, or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies, and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion, and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much.